Grapple fans, and welcome to an episode that I don't think either of us were necessarily expecting to be presenting you for the rest of this year, but we're here, by we I mean Lorca Mullen, and my Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Simon Cross. Well, we're going to be discussing a match that Dave Meltzer has for the first time in 16 plus years, given a match from the promotion Pro Wrestling Noah a five-star rating. Simon, what are we discussing tonight? Oh, Christ. My pronunciation might take a battering here, so I'm just going to apologise in advance. Your pronunciation might as well. <laughs> right. Go Shiozaki versus Takahashi Sugiura? Takashi Sugiura. Sugiura. Sugiura, I believe, is how it's pronounced. It's a match with a combined age in the ring of 88 years old. Go Shiozaki, the relatively spry 38-year-old, against the 50-year-old and jacked Sugiura. No, no, no. Yep. No, no, no. I'm going to have to check. I, I, I'm just double-checking this because that man never looks 50. Well, he does in the face. A little bit. Did you see any of the pre-match promo, or did you just go straight to the match when you were watching uh, I it? watched the pre-match promo, but it was in Japanese, so... But did you get the gist of the story that they were telling in this match? Or in or in that promo? The story I took, not not really from the promo uh, so much. Uh, mainly because I was fiddling around on my phone, waiting for the match to start. Uh, so I didn't... I will confess I didn't watch the pre-match promo intently. Intensely. So what this fundamentally is, is a match that, especially in the pre-match promo, like I said, it kind of sums up where Noah's problems have lay for the past eight or nine years, really, at this point. It was a promotion that was obviously defined by it being Mitsuhara Masawa's promotion, that it was the breakaway from all Japan. It took me years to figure out, obviously, what they mean by Noah is escaping the flood. And the people that survived in the Ark, which were all the the vast majority of the All Japan native talent, really, except for Kawada and Fushi. And amongst them was Takashi Sugiura, who was, even though he was 30 years old at that point, it was really his, he'd only started wrestling at 30 years old in the year 2000. So he was, almost by the time he debuted, he was abandoning ship, essentially. And, a bit like Japan's DDP. Yeah, you could say that. And with that, he was going to Noah and starting from scratch there, essentially starting out in the junior heavyweight division and working his way up to a heavyweight. And the match here with him and Shizaki is almost like the, the end of a dying breed. Whilst there are figures from that time that are still wrestling, like Yoshinari Ogawa, essentially... Sugiura is the last of the native talent that is still seen as a relatively strong main event figure. He's the only person to have held every of the every one of the current titles in wrestling in the promotion. He's been a junior heavyweight champ, junior tag champ, heavyweight champ, heavyweight tag champ, and the sort of secondary title that they have now called the national championship. He won that in 2019 from uh, Michael Elgin. I don't know if you realise he's now a Noah talent. New Japan not really having much time or or interest in him anymore. (laughs) Whereas Goshiyazaki is essentially the first graduate of their dojo system. Ah. Not maybe the first graduate, but one of the most first prominent ones. He was the only man to graduate in his class and was the youngest wrestler on the roster. And very early on, he became a protege of Kent Kabashi. And okay. he even he his foreign excursion I remember following because he was in Ring of Honor and he was fairly well. Presented. Yes, yeah. Now you mention it, I do remember seeing his name when I saw some Ring of Honor cards. And he had some matches there, and then he came back to Noah, and it was one of the many talents, the homegrown talents that just never 
became the draw that they needed to make the promotion continue on without Masawa. Every time Masawa or Kabashi would drop the titles, whoever they'd drop it to just wouldn't be able to carry the belt to the heights that they previously had. Interesting you mentioned Masawa, because something I picked up on uh, during the entrance was his colour scheme. Yes. Like, it's very... You know what I'm going to say. It's very Masawa-esque, isn't it? Yes. It's like there's a spectre haunting Well, Noah. essentially what the storyline is now going in is that Shiazaki says, I am Noah. That I am the embodiment of Noah. And obviously Sugiura is maybe one of the few of that original period that can counter it and say, I was there even before you were there. Mm. I, I helped build Noah from the start. I was at the first show. Whereas you were our first train, you were our first graduate. I was, so it's... It's not student-master situation, but it's obviously two conflicting, like... I don't know if generational is the right way, but the the sense with Shiozaki was that he never... Like with all of those people from that era, Takeshi Rikigo, who was the man who ended Kabashi's two-year reign, Takeshi Morishima, who Ring of Honor also pushed hard for a while as the Ring of Honor world champion, and then he went to Noah and it was expected he would be the dominant force there. He's had a very tragic story since retiring from wrestling. Kenta, Naomichi Marafuji, and Takashi Sugiura, they've all had their times as the heavyweight champ and as the provisional ace of the promotion, and none of them have been able to draw in that audience. I think I've said before, one of the reasons Misawa took on the world, the, the heavyweight title was the Budokan Hall show before he won the title back, was Kenta against Marafuji, who have been sort of the two hot prospects of Noah in the time when Noah was really the hottest promotion in Japan and probably the coolest promotion in the world from about 2003 to 2006-ish. And they only drew like 6,000 fans to the Budokan Hall and the very next Budokan show, Misawa wins the title off of Marafuji and they just have to go again. And that that pattern continued until Misawa died. And at that point, yeah. it really has been to continue on with the boat metaphor. There just hasn't been that paddle. Essentially, they've been stuck at sea with no wind to push them one way or the other. In Meltzer's write-up about Noah in this week, in the most recent uh, issue of the newsletter that I was using to look into more information about this, he said that they're not even in the top three promotions anymore, when for a while they were outdrawing New Japan, when they were just, New Japan was just an utter mess in 2000, and around that 2003 to 2006 time. Just a booking nightmare. Mm. But like I said, Kabashi just physically couldn't go by the by the time he was due to inherit the mantle and other than that two year reign which was very successful, several Tokyo Dome shows, he just couldn't continue on afterwards. And so ever since then it's just been it's just hasn't had that direction. Do you think obviously the things that made Kabashi and Misawa so great and the things we have talked about when we covered King's Road, especially towards the tail end of the King's Road period that was unfortunately some chickens coming home to roost, which had a knock-on effect on Noah. Yeah, I think you can do that. I, th- I, I definitely the head-dropping cultures died down. Really, you see it more in New Japan now, especially with the likes of Naito and Ibushi. I mean, in this match, a lot of shit happened, but I don't recall really any head drops. The suplexes that were happening, they were they were rolling through them or taking the flatback bunk. But weirdly, this felt more strong style than it did King's Road. Yeah. So much of wrestling now is like a confluence of all the different styles because everyone can see what everyone else does. So, you know, there's... I, I sort of call it the US indie style that's been such a key influence in America and in Japan, it seems to have been. The epicness of King's Road with the striking and harshness of of Strong Style, as weird as that sounds. And I think they sort of achieved that by letting the moves do the work and the story. Letting them breathe... Uh, you know, whereas we have seen and we do enjoy those matches on occasion, some matches that are, are just full throttle. This is intense. It's more of a fight than it is a wrestling match, but in a good way. Does that make sense? I understand where you're coming from. The match, this will be one, I'll be curious if you even really have much of a memory of it. But the match that this reminded me the most of out of all the five star matches we've covered before... I think this will probably surprise you. 
was the first of the three Ric Flair versus Barry Windham matches that we covered Ooh. right at the start, where they went about 50, 55 minutes or so, uh, ending with a double countout. The reason that you did that is that you essentially saw them wrestle that match, and then you saw them wrestle the 35-minute match, which was the second of the three that they that we covered, and the best of the three. Mm. And they almost did the exact same match, just uh, uh, it's like how I listen to my, my podcast at 1.5 uh, times speed. There's a 30-minute version of this match with pretty much the same number of moves and holds and everything, but they don't... Yeah. Now, it depends how you want to look at it. Either you're milking it to up the epic stakes, and therefore you're making it, in your eyes, more realistic, or in other people's eyes, more boring, just for the sake of saying you've done a 50-minute match. Do you get where I'm coming from? There's like a 35-minute version of this match. There's probably people that would say if you watch this match at 1.5 speed, it becomes a five-star match. It's one of those weird things, because people... You, everyone behind the... I'm going to pull the curtain a little bit here. I didn't watch all of this match in one sitting for the first time I saw it. I watched it in two parts. And on the day I watched the first bit, I was pretty wiped out, actually. I was a fair bit under the weather. And the match just didn't grab me at all. It wasn't compelling. It was just guys doing moves. When I, when I looked at it under that lens, thankfully I've got over like... The, winter bug not that bug a different bug going around and when i watched it the remainder not because it was the finishing stretch necessarily but because i was i had like a more energetic vibe to me myself i found the match far more compelling so i actually went through both sides of that Mm. (laughs) due to the way i watched this match because wrestling is so an in the moment thing Sometimes you can just see a match live and go, I don't think much of this, or see a match live and think it was incredible. And then you look back and it hasn't aged well. A great example is our Match of the Week series when I suggested Floyd Mayweather versus Big Show. I had a memory in my head of seeing that match at the time. I going, oh, this is incredible. And maybe because obviously it was 1am and maybe because I had come from all the fresh hot build-up hype watching Raw and SmackDown in the run-up. I had that impression. Also, cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> you realise I'd have been under 16, I think, at that time. No, 24? Yeah, but you were in Nuneaton. It was part of your daily wow. de- regimen. Four square four square meals and a rail. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the Nuneaton. Four place. square meals? Yeah, Ooh, damn right. <laughs> Tea and supper. I'll just read you a bit from Dave Meltzer's notes on this match from this week's Observer. Shizaki's title retention, spoilers, over Sugiura was one of the best matches of the year. There are natural comparisons between this and Shizaki's win over Katsuhiko Nakajima, which a lot of people talked about for match of the year. That was a match that only took place a couple of weeks earlier that Meltzer had given four and three quarter stars to. Both matches were exceptionally hard hitting. This match was even longer. I think the pacing for this match was perfect, and it went 51 minutes 44 seconds and obviously felt long, but not that long because of the slow pace and the great selling of every move. Now, you know, if you if you pace something slowly, then that can make it feel very long. I've seen some art house films that are only 92 minutes that, my God, dragged a whole lot more than bloody Avengers Infinity War or, mm. or Mad Max Fury Road or any other film that's significantly longer than that. To go that long, given the restriction on cheering, is a risk. I'm sure some would feel it went too long, but I never got the feeling watching it because it was always intense and never felt either slow or rushed. I don't know about Match of the Year, but all I say was a match that if you were to vote for Match of the Year, you should go out of your way to watch it. When we talk about the tail end of the match, because I know, obviously, we like we like to work in sequence whenever possible, like there is a point about cheering I do want to make because... Uh... I think in terms of watching a Japanese match in this year, I think I saw the closest to like a like a, an absolute like seismic gear change rapidly in a, in like a crowd response and it was it was nice to hear especially from a crowd of that size which we're not really seeing anywhere else at the minute. What in this match? Yeah, yeah. Um there was a moment that was really jarring actually. 
I um, think we're talking about the same sort of thing. I, I don't mean like I wasn't necessarily talking about a positive gear change. Yeah. Well, obviously, another the other match that I would compare it to uh, is the Volta Ilya Dragunov match, <laughs> especially with the chops and the intensity. Yeah. But obviously, they were milking things, whereas Volta and Ilya they probably did as many moves in 25, 27 minutes, and they just didn't do the mm. breaks in between or the hard. The long pause of them trying to, but they had no crowd to work to. No, but but there barely there was barely much that that Shiazaki and Sugiura had to work with. Like I said, there's a moment in it, and this is quite late on into the match, I think, where Shiazaki has Sugiura up for a power bomb, and he holds him up there like a delayed vertical suplex, but it was for a power bomb, and you could hear a pin drop. Yeah, okay. I was on about a different moment where I like noticed the crowd. It's during uh, Shizaki's comeback, uh, sort of in the tail end of the match, and he's like, "Oh, he's starting to rally a bit, starting to rally a bit," and Takaha- uh, Takahashi hits him with such a knee that the crowd just stopped dead. And because I guess they're lower in number, you heard because there wasn't that sort of like delayed tail off you get with a larger crowd. It was just literally silence in a second. It was like, "Oh." I mean, there have been New Japan matches, uh, for example, the Okada-Shingo match, and I don't know what they were doing that just never felt like the volume was an issue. Essentially, this match was like the stereotype of Japanese matches in that they're always meant to be silent, and that's not the case. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I I wouldn't say this match was silent, necessarily. I just think... It was for long chunks of it. For very, it's. I mean, it didn't help that it was a smaller crowd as well. I mean, it yeah. wasn't, whilst you can see in the New Japan shows, they seem to be coming close to filling what they can fill. Even with social distancing, you could see empty rows of chairs yeah. in the upper yeah. deck. I mean, I don't want to sound like Bart in that episode of The Simpsons where he's trying to help like Krusty, but maybe the acoustics were a factor. Possibly. Possibly. I, I mean, it, it helped the chops, that's a certain, because... I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious to put a decibelometer against Walter's chops and against Shizaki's chops because, my mm. God. But what was interesting with how Shizaki worked those chops is that he worked them so that at various points in the match, given what sort of energy he had and how recently Sugiura had been targeting his arm. His already taped arms. Well, the whole story of this match, because Shizaki won the belt back in January... And has held it now for over a year because his next title defense will be in February. And as each championship match has come, more taping has covered his body. So the story ah. is obviously that he's the the toll that being a champion has taken on him. Like by this time next year, if he's still champion, he'll just be a disembodied head in a jar. He'll be the Yeti. <laughs> <laughs> I've just got an image of them NXT um, WWE signing him then for a Yeti versus Yeti feud in in the uh, vein of Undertaker versus Evil Undertaker. You were mentioning how like it was how the um, holding the titles taken the toll on him. Yes, it's taken the, the, story. T- the toll, on him. and that's curious because his next match is going to be at the Budokan, which is the first time Noah have run the Budokan Hall in seven years, and that was only because it was Kent Kabashi's retirement which utterly sold out the, the Budokan Hall and, like, every closed-circuit arena around there. So why do, you, why do you think they're in the Budokan? Do you reckon it's because they know they don't have to fit Yeah, I think that's a very much a contributing factor. I think also Noah has built up a momentum. There has been talk of them over this year, more so than all Japan, actually. Until COVID happened, the, the it, it seemed to be if any other promotion in Japan was going to get the melts of five stars, it was going to be all Japan with the Kento Miyahara match. Mm. And Noah have now beaten them to the punch. And I've always said the funny thing with Meltzer, it seems to be once he gives you one five stars, the floodgates can open. They don't always, because he hasn't, you know, didn't give any other... I mean, Lars Sullivan only has one. Michinoku Pro matches or Dragon Gate matches, five stars after he gave the first one that. But he did give a few more to Ring of Honor after their first one. Ah, sorry, you meant promotion-wise. He did it with NXT. He's done it with New Japan. He did, you know, after the... Tanahashi Suzuki match that was when he went from the four and three quarters to the five stars more often to the point of borderline ridiculousness in more recent years 
AEW he's not done many things. Oh, he about. bloody has. For, for a promotion that's existed for less than two years. True. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, it's probably... I must apologise. This year has, like, warped my perception of time, chronically. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, you're right, yeah. Cause... Yeah, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about, Simon. This match was actually 12 minutes long. I'm not quite sure what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. I try not to mention, obviously, this year as much as possible, but yeah, it has frazzled my sense of timings. But no, you are right about the AEW point when you think about it. So yeah, to go back to the Flair Wyndham comparison, you could tell that they were wrestling at a 50-minute match pace very early on in the 50-minute match they had. And mm. right at the start of this one, you can sense they're going long, which seems to be what Shizaki is trying to do with all of his championship matches at the moment. I'm just looking at them. This one was 51-44. The one before that with Nakajima was 42-35. He then fought uh, Kenao in, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, to a 60-minute time limit draw in August. Uh, and then and before then, only five days before then, he beat Naomichi Marafuji in 30-56. Akitoshi Saito in 29-22. I'm going backwards with this. He beat Kazuyuki Fujita. There's a blast from the past in 57-47. So, like, every one of his matches has gone 29... Like, his shortest match was 29-22 as champion. I mean, the average must be coming up to, like, the 40 minutes at this point. But, you know, a longer match doesn't make a better match, necessarily. No. But they wrestled the 50-minute pay. If you want to go positive with that... It made everything have a weight and an importance, and they were fighting over moves. You know, they spent to go to call back to like an all Japan feature from those '90s matches. They spent that time on the apron at one point with uh, Sugiura trying to hit him with a gut wrench power bomb from the apron to the outside, because you know that would have been like a momentum shifter. And then for the rest of the match, you would have probably had Shizaki desperately having to fight from underneath. And what I liked about that was that Shizaki kept blocking it and blocking it to the point that Sugiura essentially had to improvise. It's like, okay, well, if I can't lift him up, I can't deadlift him up to do a power move, what is something that could potentially be of equal damage that I can execute? Goes to the outside, lifts up the mat, and then does a swinging neck breaker from the apron. So that it's like he's not falling at as high a distance but he's falling onto a much tarder surface. That was a proper wincer as well. Mm. I don't know about you, but... Oof. But from the start, it, the, there's the tentativeness on, on the mat. Like, both men know how important this is. Sugiura's probably like, this is... I'm ultimately, like, the final test if he's going to truly be Noah. I mm. I am going to be the one that tells you, you you know her if you beat me. And now I know his age. There's always there's that thinking of looking back, you know... I can't be as quick as I once was. Yeah, yeah. So I've just got to bludgeon him, essentially. Mm. So they're starting that pace. They're very slow to even contact each other. And what I like was when the first hit happens, when Shiyazaki hits him with the chop, it's like, I'm fed up with the map period. I want to take this to the next step. Sugiura doesn't engage immediately. He doesn't hit him with a forearm straight away. There is that sense of like, I don't really want to face him on this because Sugiura comes from a great amateur wrestling uh background he's sort of like Noah's Kurt Angle in many ways he even had the Olympic slam as his I was gonna say yeah which he tries to do off the top rope in this match but Shiyazaki ultimately forces it and hits more chops and Sugiura engages in forearms and that backs Shiyazaki up it's like he's feeling the full weight again it's like not only the weight of those moves, but the weight of the match is heavy on both of them in their expressions at that point. Mm. Um, and like I said, it's like you're saying, I am Noah. He's wearing green and white with gold. That's a statement. He yeah. does Kenta Kabashi spots in this match with the... Moonsault. With the moonsault, the chops, the neck chop. So he's almost saying, I am, I'm inheriting Misawa's mantle and I'm fulfilling my master's... I am, I'm following on from my master. He's like trying to say he's a combination of Misawa and Kabashi, as well as... Hence, I am Noah, because I am the forefathers. Yeah, and also with his presentation, he seems to almost... If you want to be critical, it can almost feel like an Okada cosplay. The hair, yeah. Do you know what? I When I saw the hair, I thought, that's a bit Okada-esque. And he even does the Okada corner drop kick at one point. Yes, he does, yep. 
But essentially, he wants to be as indelibly linked to the GHC Championship as Okada became with the IWGP Championship. Mm. But yeah, like, everything's a struggle. Even holding him in a chin lock, like, Sugiura is constantly working to reach the ropes with his feet. Oh, actually, that was from a head scissors, but then how he's fighting. Again, <laughs> reminiscent of the old King's Road style. Remember how he used to say how Misawa and Kabashi would very intricately work a wrist lock so yeah. that every mo- motion is, like, perfectly positioned and poised. But then again, it becomes that question. I think to some, this seems like an imitation of it rather than an actual thing in and of itself. Hmm. I, essentially, it's the wrestling equivalent of being called pretentious in that you're... <laughs> Do you get where I'm coming from? You could argue I, this is a pretentious match. I can see... Yeah, I can see your viewpoint there. I'm not saying that's my viewpoint. I'm just putting it out there. Sorry, the viewpoint there. Apologies. I sort of look at it on the other side of the coin, though, because... One of the things I got reminded of whilst I was watching this is like, oh, yes, this is very, like, similar to Strong Style and, and like, King's Road. King's Road less so, though. It's like, because I it, I never felt, I felt, obviously, I've said I winced, obviously, because things looked nasty in terms of, like, how they, like, just visually look. But things weren't nasty in terms of how they are, in terms of, like, unsafe, like, head drops and the like. So I I enjoyed not having that sense in my head of how soon is this guy going to be in a wheelchair kind of thing i don't know man i mean uh and, you know it got difficult chops, watching the, the chops um, and the forearms were hideous and yeah yeah is literally bleeding from his chest very early yeah. on as well yeah but compared to and i know obviously because i knew how it ended with um miss sour and such like watching them push the envelope more and more at the tail end of King's Road. I mean, we did talk about it uh, oh, yeah, at the well, time you... when we covered those matches. It, it, You know what I mean? It got a little bit uncomfortable. It, like, sort of like watching a Benoit diving headbutt. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there's dangerous moves done in this match. Shiyazaki does a top rope tope. The suplex spots could have gone so dangerously wrong if uh, one of them had put even a slight misstep and you know they're sweating heavily as well so on the on those ropes i'm always amazed when you got two big guys balancing themselves on the top rope and maybe the ring post as well yeah uh, do you remember that time when coach Ribushi essentially had to shift one of the jackson's weights to stop them falling all the way to the outside from a, a superplex spots yeah yeah but like coach Ribushi's a machine yeah I like also that this was a match where both the the back and forth nature of it, there were long periods of dominance from both sides. It wasn't like you do your moves, I'm going to do my moves. And no one, there can be times a lot of the time now where no one really dominates for a period, even in traditional babyface heel matches where the structure was always, you know, babyface shine, heel dominance, then heel cut off, face, face fire up and finish. With this one, it was like, Five to six minutes of Sugiura targeting Shiozaki's arm. And Shiozaki gradually fighting his way back into it. And then uh, having to hit something. Again, this was very much like the King's Road. Some One of them would hit something that would change the tide significantly. It was very often it could be a dive or it could be, like you say, the, the moves off the apron in like the Tawe Masawa match with the Dondon off the apron. Mm. Things like that. So with this one, it's like... Sugiura, after dodging a flying tackle and hitting a knee, then he's able to take over. And at that point, he's like, I'm going right for your arm. Ramming yeah. it into the corner, beating him up around the around the ringside. And that means that now when Shiozaki tries to fight back by hitting him with a chop, is able to no-sell it. Not even necessarily that he's not in pain, just it's a way of him knocking the confidence of Shiozaki as well. Sort of what the way Ishii will not sell as well. And there's definitely elements of Ishii in Sugiura. Yes. But then Shiozaki's able to retain the control by hitting a surprise flying tackle. Because the first time... Shizaki hits the flying tackle as part of his period of dominance. Then Sugiura is able to dodge it, hit a knee, and then when Shizaki is trying to turn the momentum back, he hits him with the flying tackle that surprises Sugiura. The Sugiura doesn't see coming. Sort of reminiscent of how the FTR uh, were able to surprise Nick Jackson. You know, like the the three stages of the tackle of trying to take out Nick Jackson on the apron. Failed oh, the yes. first time, surprised him the second time, but the surprise doesn't work the third time. It, it's really good establishing and, and then subverting. Shiozaki gradually to, to show that he can 
get back into control and his arm is starting to get better is sort of like how he goes for the the, the fast chops but he can't quite do it at first Sugiura hits him back with forearms but Shiyazaki responds and then is able to rally and get the faster chop so now Shiyazaki is fully in control does the Okada drop kick to the floor even though it barely touched Sugiura that was one of the few things that didn't quite go according to plan yeah um but then Sugiura sees a dive coming and hits him with a spear. And, you know, I mean, obviously dives to the outside are a real point of contention at the moment in the wrestling Twitter world. Well, yeah. I found myself having arguments with people that were agreeing with me, but we were just <laughs> not agreeing in the right way, apparently. I saw that. that's how Twitter works. Yeah. And, oh, I like that Sugiura then, in response to Shiyazaki, does sets him up in the corner, but instead of doing a high, fancy drop kick, he just slaps him in the face. It's just the hard-hitting nature of him, I think, as well. He just looks like a hard hitter. But, I mean... He just can't be arsed with all that stuff. There's there's two points in the match as well that are sort of em- emblematic of them, again, wrestling this 50-minute match pace, which is the slow, slow superplex spot. Like, every every inch of, of momentum that they're having to lift that their opponent is taking something out of them. Like, you're seeing Sugiura working all the way from the point of starting his superplex, and similarly when Shiyazaki hits a, a falcon arrow from off the ropes later on, it similarly very slowly does it. Yeah. It goes back to our love of all those old King's Road matches, whether they're trying to hit that powerbomb, and nothing's happening visibly, but you can see the work, and then they might, Kawada, if it's the Kawada that's doing it, is trying to hit some Kawada kicks as well to weaken him to make him susceptible to it um but yeah like i said it's it's i the the weight of the chops are going on as it goes on and sugira sort of steps away from targeting the arm although shiazaki continues to hold it and sell it throughout the match sugira never really returns to it Mm. we we sort of see the old and one king's road spot that we see of sorts is the pop-up no sell off of a german suplex yes but then I was wondering if it was almost as much felt that he was going with the momentum of it, really. Because you didn't, like, make a hash of it, like, in terms of, like, start to fire up. It was just like, oh, I'm, up. Oh, 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 I'm still on my feet. I'll, I'll make use of it. But, yeah, like I said, the pace. One note I had, actually, was even the count-out was slower than New Japan yeah. count-out. So it was like even the ref and the counting was, we're going to make this, a, it was pace for a 50-minute match, seemingly. Mm. I found the ref a little bit. I don't know, his counting cadence was a little bit weird at spots during this match. I never really noticed it myself. I didn't really notice the ref at all. He certainly he certainly wasn't an energetic red shoes making himself part of the match or almost acting no. as like a cheerleader for the crowd as well. Like when they're doing the double down, he's not looking to the crowds like, who are you running, who are you in favour of, what are you going to do, How how is this going to end? Actually, reminiscent of Ishii and Shibata was the spot of when Sugiura has him in the corner and he's just... You know, wailing on him with forearms, and eventually Shizaki just starts no selling. It's like he he goes all the way around to being in great pain, to just being really pissed off. But then Sugiura won't sell the chops and catches his arm and elbows him, and then hits him with a mm. German suplex in the corner with Shizaki's head bouncing off the buckle. Um, and then he goes back to the forearms, and at that point, Shizaki just has this thousand-yard stare that goes for quite a while. At this point, he's like he's barely in the in the in the waking world at that moment. Yeah, just glassy-eyed. And- but then, like what I said again, it's like that shifting momentum backwards and forwards. So, like how Sugiura was able to return the momentum back in his favor by hitting the spear from the uh, failed suicide dive. Similarly. When Shizaki's able to return it in his favour is when he finally hits the tackle that that Sugiura had been able to escape the first time. Similarly yeah. with this one, he goes for it. Uh, he's pulling Shizaki up to finish him off, and Shizaki hits a desperation lariat. Both on the double down, they get up, and Shizaki and Sugiura charges at Shizaki. Shizaki drop kicks him again, kind of Okada esque, and follows that up with a suicide. And essentially, what he's doing in that moment, not only is he also hitting the move that kind of. His failure to hit it the first time was what got him in trouble. Yeah. He's also doing it to buy time, essentially, at that point. That was how I read it. Yeah, he's throwing like the kitchen sink at things, which this match very much is. Especially in like the last stanza. Sorry, more in the last stanza. It's people are just throwing everything they've got at each other. That's I sort of it's weird because it is a fifty minute match. To me, I felt personally the pacing on it was fine 
it's something I don't think I could have got bored during. Uh, and one of the things I liked about this match and its pacing is it was in the fact that it wasn't just move, 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 that I went from a match where I've only seen one match from one of the participants before. I felt like I came out knowing far more about the wrestlers. You never know when it's someone's first ever wrestling match or someone's first exposure to you to sort of convey who you are through what's going on in the ring because sometimes that's how I'm how I'm exposed to you. I, I feel like I know these two characters a lot more and I'm kind of compelled to see how they play off against other characters due to the way their character work was done in this match. And I think the length of this match and the fact that they wrestled this match at that pace was very was the key factor in that. Does that make you want to watch more Noah? Essentially, if you've got a spare two hours, might you watch another couple of matches? <laughs> Would you like to watch like the entirety of Shizaki's GHC title run? Because obviously they want it to be as memorable as Okada's. It doesn't make me hook, line, and sinker. It's it's moved the needle, but it's not moved the needle as far as uh, you're suggesting. I have a couple of notes about this last part of the match. Okay. Sugiura's big left hand and knee combo. Mint. Loved it. That was the surprise moment, wasn't it? When, when yeah. Shizaki's setting up for Lariats. Yeah, because that's after he's done his desperation dive. He's hit his very delayed powerbomb. That's not worked. He hits another Lariat. Then he's going for one. Sigiyora hits the knee to the back of the head as well. I think that's... The running knee after that is the moment I was talking about where the crowd are like clapping, 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 trying to get um, Shiyazaki back into the match. And uh, Sigiyora just absolutely sparks him. Well, not sparks him out, but it looks like he sparks him out. And the crowd will go, yeah, yeah. Oh, and it's just like instantaneous, like handbrake turn. I also like how barely there's anything in uh, Shiozaki's kickouts at this point. It's almost yeah. Jay esque where it's yeah. barely... Or Kurt Angle, actually, was always great at those very delayed, last-minute raising of the arm, almost, really. Not even the shoulder, it's just the arms up, and that, by proxy, means the shoulder will just about be enough off. Jay White's obviously always does those as well. Uh, just before then, I like that Shizaki didn't really have any force behind the forearms. Like I said, I like because the 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 returning motif throughout this match is Shizaki's chops against Sugiura's elbows, and at various points, like I said, when Sugiura targets Shizaki's arm, Shizaki's chops aren't as effective. They aren't making as much of a noise, and and vice versa. When and the, the way they factor in the nose selling at various points, either it's to it's because it's not hurting them, it's to knock their confidence or because they're just so pissed off at how many times they've been elbowed they've just stopped caring whether it hurts or not yeah but yes and Shizaki again also like I said at various points he, he cites Kabashi but uh, you know he's hitting Misawa elbows as well at that point and Kabashi lariats so like I said he mm. is sort of this fusing of Misawa and Kabashi the two great champions of Noah because Akira Tawe only held it very briefly and Kawada was you know, and he had a couple of matches in Noah in his entire career. So it really was like, I am Noah, I am Misawa, I am Kabashi, essentially what he's saying with those moves and with the way that he's performing. Like I said, with the shifting momentums, and it's like, I don't know if it's acts in a play, but it's periods of dominance. I also like that from that point when Shizaki hits the uh, hits the drop kick and the flying dive and puts Sugiura back in the ring, at that point everything's about going for a win at that point. There were, like, next to no pinfall attempts in the first half, and I was saying, God, are they going to be like Tanahashi Suzuki in the first pinfall attempt is finally the one that wins it? <laughs> uh, which wasn't the case. There were more two counts towards the finishing stretch, and I was saying, yeah. Shiyazaki's barely getting the kick out. But I do like at that point, it's like, okay, they're fed up of trying to prove something and hurt their opponent. Now they really, really just want it to be over. They want to win. Yeah. Well, there's an element of fear in that, isn't there? It's not like, I know I'm strong, but so's Hig. And it's like, I really have to make the most of these periods of dominance. I have to finish him off now because I know what he can do to me. Yeah. There's that tentative start at the beginning, like I said, when Sugiura takes the chop for the first time and when Shiyazaki gets knocked down with the forearms. That's like the first sign of, okay, this is going to be tough. And then this is like, I've I've had enough now. I want to go home. Mm. <laughs> Uh, so that yeah, like I said, they're both desperately trying to finish the match, and then that's when you get the sort of very dangerous 
point where they're up on the top rope and Shiyazaki's able to hit a back suplex off the top. And then they both do the double down for ages and then they charge and Shiyazaki's the one that's able to hit the lariat. And that's really probably the start of the end, essentially, at that point. Yes, uh, definitely. Because then, it, like they always say, one of the great things about what, what they get with the fighting spirit is the way that, that it's misunderstood now is that it seems like it's like no selling and doing epic. And it's not necessarily that... It's showing that you still have so much in you that even if it looks like your your loss is inevitable, it's how hard it is for you to be put down. It's not about you trying to look badass. It's yeah. about you trying to be vulnerable but still keep on going. It's about sympathy, not about coolness. And so that is what Sugiura is doing towards the end of this match. He's still trying to get in. And then he gets it with the guillotine choke, but that in itself is kind of a, a sign of desperation. It's oh, like, the way he's clinging on to yeah. him as well. And, and it's clear that Shizaki is the one that ultimately has the power because he's able to power out of it several times. Yeah. Turning it into a deadlift Falcon Arrow, which really did look like it was a struggle for Shizaki. He's not just playing off the struggle of the fight throughout store, but also I think it is part of him trying. He's actually trying to control Sugiura right so that he doesn't land on his head. Yes. And yeah, so Sugiura is struggling to his feet and Shizaki hits a lariat and Sugiura is barely standing up. And then we go back to what brought us to the dance, essentially, where it's chops against forearms. And it was funny, actually. It's like how when a boxer, in a boxing match, one person will be circling around the other one. It's almost like the confidence. Mm. And in that final point, it's kind of like Sugiura is staggering around, trying to keep his footing, and and Shizaki, for the most part, is like rooted to the center of the ring. Plant your feet and lamp him. Yeah, and the forearms are wob- wobbling him, but there is that sense of Shizaki's got Shizaki's got more at this point, and and Shizaki wobbles when he's hit, but he's able to retain the center of gravity for the most part. And then he's just do. I mean, what did you think of like the return of like Vader swinging forearm punches, <laughs> clubbing blows? I like that though because it's that shows that animalistic sense to finish the man because you're not placing shots anymore you're just swinging and just pounding away yeah i like i like what that conveys yeah this final bit also reminded me and again it's like that thing of fighting spirit and you still got you're gonna keep fighting till the end um do you remember in the kabash joe kabashi match when he's gradually putting joe away with time he's hitting the suplexes and that final burst for Joe right at the end was when he just hit those slaps across Kabashi's face. Yeah. And you were just in awe of how hard he was hitting him, but Kabashi was still kind of standing there and taking it because he knew that's it, he's done. Mm. And then just like 20 seconds later, he lariats him and that finishes it. Because at this point, Sugiura just flat out starts punching him in the face. Closed fist punches. (laughs) (laughs) But then Shiyazaki just hits those three lariats and it's like it is... He's chopping down the tree. First yeah. time he hits it, Sugiura's staggered and he's wobbling around. Second one he hits, Sugiura's down to his knees and trying to get back up. Third one he hits, he's down on the mat and that's it. He's finished and that's where the three count hits. So really well done finish. And this is more and more like a King's Road in the traditional sense. It is with that new, you know, with that strong style influence. So like a hybrid-ish? Yeah, yeah. But it's like, well, like I said, he's trying to... I guess this is them trying to say we're crafting something even newer and more epic than what Okada was doing. Like I said, it seems like they're trying to replicate Okada and Shiyazaki. Yeah. I don't know whether it... And the fact that his matches are even longer than Okada's IWGP title matches on average by the looks of it now at this point. Because Okada obviously went... He would always go like over 30, but he rarely went over... Outside of the Omega matches, I don't think he really went over 40 minutes. Mm. Uh, So that was like reserved for Omega really, that I can recall, their three title matches. I think, in general, I think there's a little bit of longer equals better going on right now. It depends what you do with it, really. Exactly. That, that, exactly. <laughs> so that's been the match, and we've gone very epic. I didn't know if it was going to be one that I'd want to talk for that long, but we've basically gone the length of the match at this point. Yeah, but don't forget, we're talking about... We're talking about 16 years, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Well. Yeah. Uh, I was really curious going into it because the guy uh, fighting, it was the editor of Fighting Spirit magazine, Brian Elliott, who I follow on Twitter, uh, he gave the match two and a half stars and was pretty excoriating against people who'd recommended it to him. And I can see, I can honestly see all the different stances on this. Mm-hmm. Where do you land? I liked it. 
and and if you're going on, if you're saying it's the two point five to five star, my rating will be close to five star than two point five stars, but it wouldn't be five stars. But I get the feeling you're maybe the contrary. It's not five star. It's good. It's it's far. It's good ish. We don't. Okay, I'm surprised at that because you seem to be really positive about it during most of this discussion. To be honest with you, I was positive about it. I think because, as I said, to the point, I've I enjoyed how it made me learn more about the characters, and I think some matches in that sense could not necessarily take something from that, but it's something I'd like to see more in in matches. Because I was going to ask, I mean, we might it might be the case that 2021 we've got more Noah matches to discuss. No, don't know yet, but I, I doubt the next Shiazaki match is going to be that because he's facing Kijimuto. That's why they've mm. booked the Budokan. And ah. obviously it's it, continuing him trying to have the classic reign. But Muto is never held the GHC title. He's held the Triple Crown, obviously, and he's held the IWGP, so and the NWA world title, so it's like, can he collect that one at 58 years old? And I wouldn't be surprised if they had Muto win it because you can do the story of Shiozaki is so battered and beaten that Muto is able to, with his veteran wiles, can just Get you know, pick, it, pick at the carcass yeah, and, and take okay. it from him. You know, and it might get like eyes on the product. It's like, oh, Muto's our champion. Thinking, yeah, yeah, because that was what happened. That was one of the things New Japan did. They had uh, uh, Muto Lu- win the IWGP title around 2008 as an invading, you know, the the legend coming back, and he beat Nakamura for it, and put back a few other challengers. I think he beat Nakamura a second time, and, and I think he beat Hiroki Goto, and then Tanahashi is able to come back as the hero. So it might be that Shiozaki drops it so that someone else can do the, the reclaim it for now. Or Shiozaki can come back refreshed. I don't know. Or Shiozaki wins and gets a big win over Kijimuto. Either path could be that. But I don't think we'll be, we maybe we'll do it as match of the week in 2029 or something, but I would be very surprised if we cover that match for this, but we may have some more Noah's coming up. It's clearly, getting some attention at this point mm. not all positive but it's something and they're desperate for anything at this point people are talking about them and that's the yeah. first step they, like i said they've always struggled with their identity post masawa they dropped the green color scheme and then went to the white and red but now it seems like they've retained some of the green because there was the green outer layering mm. um and obviously shiazaki with the green as well is is trying to I don't know. I'll be curious where that storyline goes because Shiozaki was always like one of the could have beens, like all the other dojo graduates. And now it's like, well, has he finally put all the pieces together now? Yeah. Um, because I don't know. I mean, Noah for a while was relying on a relationship with New Japan. They New Japan essentially loaned them Suzuki Goon for a couple of years uh, and Nagata and all sorts of stuff. But then that kind of fell away. I mean, they even had Marafuji beat Okada pretty easily in the G1 and then Okada won it back won back in an IWGP title match that was really the last interpromotional relationship that's been going on with, with New Japan since then uh, even Ring of Honor I suppose kind of died a death around that time as well Yeah, um, Marafuji did do some stuff with All Japan I always wondered why don't All Japan and Noah like re-merge together thinking that you could call themselves Arc Japan Pro Wrestling or something Pride, like that Pride probably oh yeah 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 Someone said you don't you you don't get how Japanese wrestling promotions yeah. work. That never will happen. Yeah, that's been an interesting discussion. I mean, do you think it, I'm just looking at the other New Japan matches that we covered for the five stars this year? And uh, obviously there was Takahashi against Taka. So it was Ibushi against Suzuki. There was Osprey against Takagi. There was uh, Okada against Takagi. I would say I would say at least Okada Takagi I would say was better than 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 this. Yeah, I mean this um, was just this was probably good. Bushi Suzuki. Yeah, that's what it was. It was just good. <laughs> I was surprised. I genuinely thought you'd love this match. By the way, you were talking about it, so I'm a bit surprised mm. how that went. Did you admire it more than you liked it? More? I think yeah. I think that's a very good way of uh, wording it. Yeah. Mm. Well then, if people want to admire our handiwork on the social media front simon how can they do so for you 
Uh, for me, they can get in touch with me on Twitter where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the amount of capillaries that were burst uh, in a chest per chop in this match. <laughs> My name is Lorcan Munnell. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L. A for Aardvark. N for Notice Board. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm running out of use at this point. For our next episode... We will probably be doing the year in review. That'll be coming out on Christmas Eve. And then on New Year's Eve, we at this point, we'll maybe do part two of our brainstorming session for Monday Night Wars. And then we'll go back to the match of the weeks. But I do suspect that we might be discussing in one of those two episodes one last five-star match for the year because I watched the Hiromi Takahashi El Desperado Best of the Super Juniors final and I can see Meltzer going the full Monty there again. So we'll hold off on that. But that's that's what you can anticipate at this point. Something will be in your in your uh, inbox on New Year's Eve and Christmas Eve. Woo! So it'll be a greater present than anything you could get or any snog you could get at the end of either of those two days. <laughs> but anyway, until then, my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time.